0: All right, good morning. Yeah, good morning to those of you joining us digitally. This is a beautiful morning. I'm excited to be with you guys. Honestly, I'm a little bit amped today. I uh, found a new protein powder mix that apparently has caffeine in it. That could be a new thing. I don't know. But I'm like, whoa, this is going to be exciting. So my name is Tim Griesbach. I get to be one of our pastors and preachers here at Crossroads Church. And I get the incredible privilege of closing out our three-week little mini-series called The Weird Things Christians Do. And what we've been trying to do within these three weeks is look at three different things that Christians do when we get together and gather together for church services that are honestly a little bit weird I mean, if you've been in church life, like your whole life, you probably look at this stuff and go, oh yeah, of course we do that and we do this and we do this other thing, like it's normal. But if you're like just starting to get into church, maybe the last year and a half has been a bit of a catalyst for you and you're like, wow, yeah, I think I need something beyond myself. And you've realized, man, I think it has something to do with God or something to do with Jesus. And you've just started getting involved in church. You probably have recognized that there's some stuff in here that's a little bit weird, right? Like how often we have a horse trough up here that's filled with water and then one human gets into it while another human submerges them under the water. It's a little bit weird if you don't have a context for baptism. But that's why Pastor Matt walked us through the significance of baptism in our church life together as we celebrate the new life that we have in Jesus. Or one of the other things that can be a little bit weird if you're not familiar with it is the snacks that we get to enjoy, right? Part of the way through every service, we pause for a moment, and we bust out some like kind of not so great little crackers and like cups of juice, If we're honest, and it's like, what is going on with this? What are we doing? Well, last week, Pastor Chris walked us through the significance of communion in the life of our church. As we remember intentionally that our sustenance from life comes from Jesus himself as the lamb who is sacrificed. This incredible gift of love from our king. And so today, we're going to wrap it up by looking at the third thing that we do that might be a little bit weird if you're not used to church world, and that's singing, literally what we just spent a little time doing. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably are like, More music, because my whole life I have just loved singing. I loved music since I've been a little kid. I played music with my parents growing up, bluegrass band. They taught me how to play an upright bass when I had to use a little step stool so that I was able to reach those top little notes and stuff, so that was fun. I mean, music has been a part of just about my whole life. In fact, when I was the campus pastor up in Fort Lupton, there was sort of a running joke that you knew if I was in the building... Because if you paused for a moment, you could hear me singing or not. If you didn't hear me singing, I probably wasn't there, right? But like if I was there, you could probably hear me singing somewhere in the building. And my parents just picture their struggle growing up, right? This little Timmy who wouldn't shut up. I just, could, I mean, you know, the time, I don't know how many times in my life I heard them say something along the lines of, can you, can you just be quiet just for a little bit? Just, Just a little, please. Because I was constantly humming or singing, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I can be quiet. And then, of course, you know, like a minute later, I'm just singing again because there's music constantly going on in my head. Like, I don't know if that means I'm crazy, but I've always got like this soundtrack that's going on in my experience. But if you're not like me, and music isn't like, oh my gosh, I just love it, all the parts of my life has music in it, you probably look at music and go, why in the world? Do we spend so much time singing every single Sunday when we get together? I mean, it's not enough to do one song or two songs, three songs, sometimes four songs. There's so many songs. Why those songs? And today we're going to get to take a look at the significance of singing. And my prayer and hope has honestly been that it would surprise some of you and that for all of us, that it would wake us up just a little bit as it's an invitation into something I think that's Awesome, but super, super needed. So if you want, you can jump ahead and get to where we're going to be in Scripture today. We're going to take a look at six verses from Psalm 98. But first, I just want to bring up like how it's easy for us when we get together in our gatherings to kind of look at our singing portion of our service and be a little confused as to its function. Like, why do we do it? Because when we look at our culture as a whole... The only thing that's kind of similar is a concert, right? And that's quite a bit different though from what we actually do within a church service. But that's the closest thing. I mean, you've got all these instruments up here, you've got musicians, you've got singers. If you're watching online, right, like there's all kinds of like video angles and all kinds of different stuff happening. And it's like, well, this feels a lot like a concert. So it must be like a concert. But we miss out on a whole lot if we approach the musical part of our services as if it were just a concert. And I think that what we'll see as we dig into God's Word today is that it's way different, actually, than a concert. And so let's just jump right in and get started. We're going to take a look at Psalm 98. I want to show you two different things I see in the psalm. Two different reasons or motivations that we can have when it comes to the singing part. Of our service. And so we'll find the first one in the first three verses. So let's get into it. He says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation, he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The thing that we see here, and I think it's first, and I think it's important for us that it's our first motivating factor for singing when we get together, is to point to God and to say, you are awesome. You, oh God, are great. You, oh Lord, are amazing. I mean, just look at what you've done. Look at who you are. Look at how you love. Look at what you've promised to accomplish. You are great. And I think that's the first thing that we have. that is a motivating factor for us to sing when we get together in a church service. It's an opportunity for us to point to him and just proclaim to him how great and good he is. And it's not just this sort of abstract or hollow, you're great, and that's just it. It's a you're great that's standing on a firm foundation of truth that's connected to one of the key words in this section. That if you're looking at these first three verses, the word that's repeated over and over is the word salvation. That he's made a way to save his people, that he's worked to rescue us, that he's made known his salvation for us. And so our proclaiming, you are great, isn't just sort of this hollow thing. It's like I'm standing on the firm foundation of the salvation that he's provided, and I'm saying, this is why you're great And just in case you don't know, haven't got it on the tip of your mind, like the beauty of the salvation, let me break it down for you real quick. Like God created humanity to be in relationship with himself and to be image bearers or little reflections of what he's like within his creation. But we got it wrong. Instead of doing things his way, we rebelled and decided, no, I'd rather do things my way. And the result of that is everything wrong that we see in the world. All of the pain, all of the chaos, all the frustration, all of the sickness, all of the hurt. All of it is this result of humanity deciding, no, I don't actually want to do things your way. And you know, he could have just left it like that. Or he could have just said, you know what, new universe, I'm going to start over. And instead, he made a way to rescue us. This is the salvation that's being pointed to in this passage. That God sent his son, Jesus, his son, his divine son, as the God-man to rescue humanity by dying on the cross to defeat that rebelliousness that had a stranglehold on us. Or the way that the Bible talks about that, it talks about that rebelliousness as sin. And that Jesus came and made a way for that. And then when he came back to life, when he was raised from the dead, he paved the way saying, I'm inviting you into real life, real purpose, real joy. That's the salvation. So when we get together, our music has this opportunity for us to go, You are great. You are the best. There is none like you. But I think there's another reason that we see in the next three verses in this passage. So let's continue. It says Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. This is where we really start to get into a lot of the musical elements. But the key word here that stands out to me in this short three verses is that use of the word joy. The use of the word joy. So I want you to create categories in your mind for like how awesome God is by understanding what he didn't do. One of the things that God didn't do was rescue us into servitude. He didn't rescue us into subjugation. Are you tracking with me? He rescued us not into slavery as our primary experience of our relationship with him, but he rescued us into joy. He rescued us into delight. He rescues us into having our souls satisfied in him. See, when he made us to begin with, to be in relationship with him, to reflect what his life, part of how he designed us was to find our soul satisfaction in that relationship. And when we rebelled and said, not your way, but my way, we cut ourselves off. And as a result, we spend all of our lives trying to find soul satisfaction anywhere else. But what he's done in saving us is saving us not into this, into just this, okay, now I guess I can do things right. But into an experience of living with him in delight and in joy. And I think that's why the music part is such a big deal in this section. Why there's all these different instruments. Because music is distinct. It's, it's special. Music is able to move our minds and our hearts and our bodies in a unified direction. Almost like nothing else in all the world. That when you're listening to music, it has this capacity for some reason to engage not only our minds, but also our hearts in a way that oftentimes results in movement. I mean, if any of you guys spend any time listening to like Latin music, man, that stuff is designed to make you move. <laughs> like that like, you can't help but want to just kind of like, all right, all right, let's move a little bit, right? Like, but music is part of what's doing that. It creates this opportunity for our whole selves, our minds, and our hearts, and our bodies to move together. And I think that's why it's so significant when it comes to this experience of joy and expression of God's goodness, that it takes place within music. Because it's, it wouldn't be enough for us to just sort of intellectually agree that God is good. Right? God is good. You wouldn't be wrong by saying that or intellectually agreeing with that, but it's not sufficient to just agree intellectually, God is good. And He's done wonderful things. It wouldn't be good for us just to get all emotional without actually any thoughts connected to what's going on, and just be like, Woo! Like that's that's not actually complete or full. And it's definitely not complete or full if you're just standing here with your hands raised, but you don't have any like reasons or, or motivating emotions behind any of the expression that music creates this opportunity for us to take our hearts and our minds and our bodies holistically to stand on the firm foundation of the salvation that God's given us and to look to him and say, you are great and to enjoy it. Woo! I don't know about you, but this is getting me pretty excited. This is a good thing. He didn't have to do it this way. He didn't have to make our experience of His saving us be such a delight. He could have made it just another thing to check off right, but it's not. He invites us and calls us into joy. And so as we approach the musical part of our services, I want to challenge you to start to think about it just a little bit differently. First, I want to challenge you to think of it as an opportunity to proclaim to God how good he is. I want you to think about it as an opportunity to proclaim to God how good he is, to say, okay, we're going to get some music, which means I'm going to get to feel some stuff, and we're going to have words that align with what God has said is true about himself, and I am going to let my body, meaning my voice, maybe even my hands, maybe even my hips, get involved in proclaiming to God just how good he is. I want to challenge you to reframe that as like, okay, first thought, when we're hitting the music, like, this is an opportunity, here we go. And the second thing I want to challenge you to do is to think about the musical portion of our services as a wake-up call for your soul, as a wake-up call for your soul, as like a trigger to your soul that something important is happening, that something important is at stake. Music historically has been used in the military to kind of draw attention to something that needs to happen. And when you look at the history of music within the military, it's fascinating. That like you've got people with like real deal weapons, and not too far away from them is someone with a musical instrument. you're like, those don't seem like they equate. But the people in charge figured out real early on, like music has this ability to like trigger a response in people. Like, I mean, we got to go. We got to take this hill. And I think that that's one of the most valuable aspects of music for us at Crossroads Church in the season that we're in is for music to act as a wake-up call. Because I believe that we are in a fight. I believe that we have a real enemy who's really determined to take us out. He's really determined to keep people from experiencing and enjoying salvation that's being offered to humans through Jesus. And for those who've already put their faith in Jesus, this enemy of ours is hell-bent on making you ineffective. And I think one of the ways he does that is by lulling us into this idea that we're not actually in a fight. And this strategy of his is super effective in our North American church experience. We've got around us so many different accesses to comforts and and preferences and all kinds of wonderful things. We're able to have this illusion in our minds that we're mostly in control of our situation, of our circumstances when the reality is that we're in a fight. And see, something's different if you've been lulled into a peacetime mentality, right? When you're at peace, you can take advantage of things like luxuries. Like it makes sense. I mean, even if you look in our country's short history, you see that play out. And you see that when it was declared like we're in a war, everybody, attitudes changed, switches got flipped. And it's like, okay, my preferences and my comforts now take a back seat to us accomplishing this mission. And I think that one of the most successful tactics of our enemy in this season is to convince those who are standing on the salvation and who are trusting in Jesus that we're not actually in a fight. That we're not actually in a fight for our own souls, our own delighting in Jesus as our king. That we're not actually in a fight for our children, for our family members and our neighbors And our coworkers, he can convince us that what we're actually in is this slow waiting experience that, you know, we'll we'll just get through and we'll hold to Jesus in the midst of the suffering and, you know, someday I will get to be with him forever. Which, that's all actually true, but at the same time, we're in a fight. And so when it comes to the music within our services, our music is not a concert, It's a call to arms. It's an invitation. It's a calling out, a saying wake up, wake up. You're in a fight against someone who is faster than you and stronger than you and smarter than you who's not gonna rest and whose focus is your destruction or making you completely ineffective. And that our music creates this opportunity to respond, to recognize like, oh my gosh, I am in a fight. And it's not a fight in the same way that we're used to thinking about fights. Like we're not, I'm not saying, go pick up your guns or swords or something, right? Like that's not the kind of fight it is. The fight that we are in is a fight for joy, a fight for delight, a fight for satisfying our souls in Christ, in our creator. And saying, To the enemy, I'm not going to place my delight in all the stuff that you've put around me. I'm not going to even place my delight in the beautiful gifts that God has given me. Not primarily, not ultimately. I'm going to use even his gifts as an opportunity to delight my heart in him. In him as my king. And as we realize that we're in a fight, it's going to change the way that we interact, I think. It's going to change the way that we go and spend the rest of the six days of our week. That we're going to recognize what's at stake. And we're going to be willing to take risks. Because we've got hills that need to be taken. We've got family members that need to be rescued. This thing is for real. And if you have any illusions about the severity of the enemy that we're up against, he's described in 1 Peter chapter 5 like this. Instruction is be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Your mentality would absolutely shift if you suddenly became aware that there is a lion outside of the room that you're in. Your awareness of what that means would like spike and it would become one of the most important things if you were to realize that there is a lion outside your room. Now, I know in Colorado, like we have lions, right? They're mountain lions. They're not like the Sahara lions. Like they are, they're like mountain lions, but we have lions. Like if there's a lion in your neighborhood, you're gonna let your little kid go run out onto the street? no. <laughs> Why? Because you recognize the danger that they're in. And now if it came down to just a normal kind of a lion, right? We could just, I mean, I know this is, this is Colorado. So you would just go into wherever you store it and you would grab your arsenal. I'm not even like, you don't have just a gun. Most of you guys have like an arsenal. It's real. You guys would come out like with multiple weapons and be like, this lion is just going down because nothing is going to get to my family. Nothing is going to hurt my kids, But when it comes to the lion that we're up against, guns don't work. Like our weapons don't work against this enemy. And in fact, if we were left to our own, we would have zero chance of defeating this enemy, this prowling lion. But that's again why we praise God for being so stinking good. Because what he did in sending his son Jesus is make a way for us to experience victory over this enemy. And that victory looks like joy and delight in him. And so I just want to take a moment, because I believe that there are probably people here and those gathering online, that you haven't actually put your trust in Jesus yet. But that when you look at your life, you can start to think, like, wow, I really am in some sort of a fight. Or it sort of feels like something's trying to, like, crush me, get me, keep me down, keep me out. However your experience of that has been. And perhaps today might be the day that you actually get to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to fight this enemy on my own. And I am going to take a hold of Jesus as my Lord and savior, because he's already defeated this enemy. Like if I'm next to Jesus, I win. (laughs) Newsflash, at the end of the book, Jesus wins. With a word from his mouth, the enemy is defeated once and for all. And I want to invite you into being with him when that happens. And to being with him every moment until that happens. And it really is as simple as looking to him as your Lord and Savior. Your Lord, the one who gets to call the shots in your life. And as your Savior, the one who is actually able to defeat this rebelliousness within you. So I'm going to pray for you. And pray for all of us. That God would do that. That God would call us to himself. And that he would wake up our hearts. And so, Father, would you please, would you please call us to yourself today? Lord, I pray that you would call people to yourself today for the first time, that they would hear you speaking to their very hearts, that they would hear you speak of your love and of the gift of your son Jesus, Lord, that you would confirm in their hearts that this is true and that you would call them to yourself. Oh, and Lord, I pray that they would answer the call by taking a hold of your son in faith, that they would trust you by trusting him, trusting what he said is true about himself, trusting that the victory can actually be accomplished through Jesus. Lord, would you please do that right now? And Father, I pray that for those of us who have been following you for years or longer, Lord, I ask that you would help us to wake up. Lord, I pray that those of us who are asleep when it comes to the fight that, you're, that we're in, that you would help us to wake up. And I pray that you would use the music in our church services to do that, to be a trigger, Lord, to help our hearts and our minds and our bodies become aware that we are in a fight for our souls and the souls of those around us. And Lord, would you embolden us to set aside whatever it takes in order to delight in you and in your defeating of our enemy. Oh, Father, would you do that here today for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.